So hello and welcome to what is episode 25 of Design Truth. Uh, my name is Brad Harper and I am an industrial design recruiter. Me and my design mate Drew have a beer and a chat with different people um, within the world of industrial design and today are joined by Asad Hamir, the CEO of tech accessories brand Nolly. Um, we talk about design and business and uh, how they can both get the best out of each other, putting a proper design brief together, hats, and of course, my hero growing up, Dimitar Berbatov. Um, to be involved in all things Design Truth, track us down on the socials or hello at designtruth.co.uk. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you just half enjoyed it. Um, thank you. Yeah, I've got the oh, Brad, where's your hat? I can get a, I can get a hat for you guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's always interesting to see how people wear them differently. You got yours way up. Like I was. Confident. I mean, I mean, listeners on Spotify and Apple Podcasts really don't know what's how this has started, but we've all got a hat on. It's all part yeah. of the coffee in the office experience that they get. You know, they're missing out on. It's the exactly. like, yeah. conversation the, about hats. This is the <laughs> nolly, the nolly look. Nolly. <laughs> Not it's a great one, Nolly, because I was calling it Noli for about eighteen months until um we caught up last week and had a bit all of right. a yeah, what everyone does. Yeah. Everyone does. I'm blaming Dan Barnes because I'm pretty sure he said me the name was Noli. Um, <laughs> and uh, we had a catch up then we we um caught up about Berbatov and some nostalgia there. Yeah, it was a good good game on uh, the weekend. Did you watch it? Of course. And yeah. um, we don't want to talk about football at the minute because of yeah, this whole this whole league bashful, this whole it? this whole league thing i don't know if we're going to do this i don't i can't i don't think i can promise i'm going to do the whole thing with a hat on because hats just don't suit me there's the thumbnail sorted anyway but um i was actually i like to do a little bit of prep for guests that come on these days yeah. because when we first started i didn't really know what to really do when we had a podcast guest on now but now i basically just kind of google your name and just watch videos of stuff that you've done over the last x amount of years and stuff but um it was one of them where i felt like you would be able be able to introduce yourself much better than what i can because it just seemed like you've got so many things going on or have been going on um would that be would that be a fair assessment or not yeah well 12, 12 years 12 years of business so yeah it's like yeah the whole the whole history is littered around isn't it that's the problem yeah so would you describe yourself as an entrepreneur would that be the best yeah i mean i don't i don't like that word yeah. personally um but um yeah i've been in business since i was 20 22 okay um so straight straight from university I did um, did something quite different at university. I did optometry, so I used to test people's eyes for a living. Okay. Uh, so I did that for about yeah about a year. Uh, but my family's like typical Indian family, like everyone in the family has kind of done the same thing. Mm-hmm. So um, there's actually 42 optometrists in our family. Wow. Um, yeah. Where do you rank in that list of 42? <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, I'm 30, 33 or 34. Okay. Good. Yeah, so my kids are definitely not doing that. I've already told them. Um, but yeah, I did optometry and then like just got involved in tech uh, from a young, like um, at uni. My dad was an electric, electrical engineer. So always used to have like tech around my house and, mm-hmm. and stuff. And then third year uni, I actually saw the iPhone launch. Um, so the iPhone, the very first one. 2007 um and then um yeah like i used to buy and sell phones at university and then potentially came out of uni um uh worked for a year and then started a reseller business with a mobile network mm-hmm. um and we were selling basically we just rode the smartphone boom um and um at 22 23 when you start a business like um it's um yeah you, you kind of learn a lot um about mm-hmm had to manage people and all that stuff. But we, we grew really fast. Uh, so we grew from like me, just me and me and one other guy to 200 people in like five years. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, and then did a, another business. So I kind of had a lot of, uh, I, I felt I had a lot of success in that business. <laughs> and then um, became overconfident, did a business that didn't quite work out in the mm-hmm. iOS space. 
um, but learned a lot um, about product and um, you know all of that stuff. Design. We actually did an industrial design project with um, a designer in um, uh, San Francisco called Gadi Amit, which is okay. where I first had my experience of industrial design. So that new, kind of blew, new deal, isn't it? New deal design, yeah. That that blew my mind because uh, eyewear designers like um, it, the way they design frames is they just they look at silhouettes. So basically, just take a shape and you know uh, literally sketch it out on a piece of paper, cut it out, um, and so everything's in two D and uh, never anything to do with like how people how comfortable glasses are or you know how you use them or anything. You go and do industrial design. It's like. You know, <laughs> how how things are how things work and i mean i got quite frustrated actually because um i remember like going into it and like we you obviously pay for the different phases and um the first phase we didn't do any like creative or conceptualization or anything mm-hmm. i was like what is going on here what are we <laughs> yeah and then you kind of go through the process and you learn and you realize wow like that's why you went through it yeah. um and then that's what piqued my interest to to look at design in kind of tech world um, and start start Nolly and it's led on to a few other things. Yeah, I feel like we've got a lot to get through in this hour though. So um, what was fascinating, I was just reading up, a, obviously I, I knew of you already, but just kind of getting myself in a fairly half-decent headspace going into this kind of chat. And what was interesting is that you was, there was a particular line on a blog that you wrote about um, nolly and it was something you may be able to quote this better than what i can but it was something like this last i don't know probably four years now since 2017 it's been a bit like doing a mini mba i think that's how (laughs) you described it as yeah just tell us a little bit about who nolly is first of all um i can shamefully kind of promote some hey, products okay. here um, I, I mean i got sent a fitness band and i'll be honest with you the the, the thought of me with a fitness band is just going <laughs> way over my head but very useful kind of product nonetheless so, so thank you very much and the um ironically the plug is actually the one i like the most um but it's it's more it's a tech brand right so whilst i'm yeah. just to people that are listening to this thing i'm just throwing a phone case in front of the camera but it's far more than that isn't it and that was the intention from the start i'm guessing yeah no it is actually could i share a picture go for it yeah, yeah, yeah. this is basically where it started mm-hmm. so that's my tech bag wow. um, and like uh, over the years i've kind of sold all the major brands so in there is probably like some belkin and Mophie and yeah, God knows what in there. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, like uh, traveling around um, at that time, kind of running my business. I just always found my kind of my accessories were always playing catch up. Um, and everything inside that bag was kind of designed on its own and not thought about how it kind of connect in together with everything else. And um, and you'd always end up with issues like, you know, things breaking or like, you know, being out of power. And there was always like the running joke in the office that, you know, I'm, I was always the guy that would be out of power because not, not because like I forgot to charge my phone at night, but I just power user. Right. Um, and, um, so like after doing that industrial design project for the eyewear side of things, um, I was like, why has no one done this at this mobile accessory space? Um, where's the brand that's kind of doing form and, and function. Like you see like cases with like marble on there and mm. you know things like that on the kind of um, more aesthetic side of things. And then the kind of functional would always be really, really rugged. Mm. Um, and I was like, where's the brand that's kind of mixing, mixing both? Where's the brand that kind of speaks, speaks to me? Um, and that was basically um, the brief that we took to uh, Leia. So the industrial design studio and said, look, um, we, you know, we want to create the, the brand of tomorrow, really. Um, and, you know, it's about supporting people like myself. And, you know, I had spoken to lots of my friends and family and um, and they are, they had their own issues, but they're in their own distinct ways. Like some of them were maybe not power users. Some of them used to love their running bands, um, you know, bike or whatever it was. Um, and quickly, as we kind of started to think through this, it's like, 
realize that everyone's unique, right? Everyone has their own way of living their life. Um, and tech is designed to be cookie cutter. It's like, you're going to fit inside this box. Um, and um, my, view, my view of the space was like, how do we create it so it can be personalized um, and it can be tailored to, to you as an individual, but not get into the world of like Anchor and some of these brands where I remember going on their website and seeing the power bank section and there was like 95 power banks at that time for a single like, you know, power bank skew. And it's like, you know, surely that's not the way we can't, we can't, you know, it's not good for both the environment, but also like to be able to scale a business to compete with Anchor is like a multi-billion pound business. You know, there's no way we're going to be able to compete in that world. So how do we do it differently? And that's where I came across the idea to try and design things in a modular way. Um, mm -hmm. And so then that way you customize it to the individual. Um, modular was like, it was a trend at the time as well. I still remember there was there was a watch watch brand called Blocks and Google had done the um, the Arrow, the the what was it called? Yeah, I think it was the Arrow. It was done by actually New Deal Design, and and <laughs> I still remember on on the way they they both flopped, um, and I was like, God, there's a reason why no one's done modular, right? Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, and um, I guess that was that was the kind of beginning phase of it, um, mm. and oh, you kind of go through the. Process. Oh, sorry, sorry. I was, just gonna, I was just going to say, what what led you to go and work with Layer out of interest? The only reason I ask is I'm actually putting together this massive industrial design map of the UK, and I can tell you there's bloody hundreds yeah. of these agencies out there because I'm the one having to to put the put the put the data entry into this thing. And what led you to to to, to those guys from from the top? So simple as came back from actually went to see New Deal Design, came back and Googled industrial designer, London. And they were the first ones that came up. Uh, it was actually <laughs> them and a couple of others. And so then I did my standard thing that I'd do with anyone, met, met all of them. Um, and then like Benjamin and me, similar age, like, and we, we got along quite well. Um, and um, yeah, it just clicked. I think, you know, end of the day is about relationships, right? Mm. Um, and budgets, of course. Um, but <laughs> relationships yeah. like he um yeah because you because you wrote i'm just, I'm just probably just gonna re just refer to your blogs throughout most of this but it's like you think one of them was about the fact that you were kind of looking back on the four years and it was like at that time where do i go to learn about things like design and you know where you simply just typed in industrial design on google and whoever's smashing it with the seo is the first person you're you're picking up the phone to but there's not really many places for you to go as um in that state in that position you're in of of who do you go and talk to that's going to point you in the right path or content you can consume on linkedin or maybe even spotify or apple or whatever but yeah that must have been that must be something that a lot of tech-based kind of founders go through where it's like okay I, i've got this great idea yeah but where am i going to have that validated before i have to go and meet all these people what are they the right people i need to be talking to particularly if you know you're not a designer although you may appreciate design you, you, you still don't know the internet at that point it's on the internet of how you actually get this thing through to market so is that something you're looking back on thinking god i've got so much knowledge now that i wish i had back then Defo, man. I mean, there's no, there is still nothing, isn't mm. there? Like, there's literally nothing out there. As part of the way I've um, started, like a little blog series yeah. for people that are looking to design products and just how to work best with the design industry, and also how the design industry can work better with product entrepreneurs. Because I think you know, if if both work together, um, you know, we're going to create better products. Mm. Um, and, and bring more design innovation here in the UK, right? Like in tech, um, I mean, tech generally isn't known, like the UK is not known for having a, you know, a, a design hub here. Uh, most of it's either San Francisco or California or Shenzhen or, um, so yeah, I mean, there still is nothing. I think the other thing is it, design is only part of the journey, right? Like the other, the, 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 the brain damage, which is the next bit of the journey, is manufacturing. Um, so 
is going from concept, which we did in London Design Festival in 2017, that gap between concept and like product is like- How long did it take you? A couple of, couple of years? Um, um, it take? Like it took us, took us two years. Um, so I, the way I did it was um, I worked with someone who, uh, we worked with a, with a manufacturing agency, kind of thought I could hand it over to them and let them deal with the experts quote, quote. Um, and like when you're dealing with something like Nolly, which is, uh, it looks simple, but actually that there's a lot of technical uh, innovation in it. Like whether it's mechanical features like that lock is, mm. is um, yeah, it's challenging. Um, but also like there's the electrical side of things. So it's, it's kind of, you know, the perfect storm of, like, <laughs> of product. Um, and it's got like, you know, you've got soft, textures and you know uh, different uh, different factories for different um different products so um then um once they kind of uh, screwed it up i um i then jumped in and i i basically sat in china for at one point two months or three months in a factory uh, or in the in the factories and just learned everything i was like um you know either either we sync the business at this point um but we come too far. There's something here, um, or I'm going to learn everything myself, and I'm going to. Um, like I'm not an engineer. I'm not a designer. Um, but you know, manufacturing is a just it's relationships. You know, it's all about relationships, and you need to kind of act that go between between the design house and the manufacturer, um, and you need to know when to push the manufacturer and when not to push the manufacturer, when to yeah. listen to the manufacturer. Yeah. yeah. I think it's interesting. You mentioned relationships. I mean, I suppose like within uh, different sizes of businesses, well, like the difference between like a small startup that's trying to get something made and you don't have you know design expertise, you don't have manufacturing expertise, you're going out to partners and relying that, or like hopefully hoping that, uh, as you said, you could, you were hoping you could just kind of leave them to it and to make them liaise with one another and that the design yeah. to speak to manufacturing and that they would have your best interest in heart. Uh, but perhaps that's not always the perhaps that's not always the case. I mean, I don't know, you know, whether that was true with 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 your partners, but I tend to find that you get the same issues in it like in-house as well. So if you're you know working for a company that's that's got one or like got a range of products, but you know, they, they own the manufacturing, they own the design, they own yeah. the, the source of the idea as well. You've still got that bump up. And either it's a nice, smooth uh, transition and you get manufacturing involved right at the start and everyone knows what's important and what's vital to your stakeholders or everyone has their own interests at heart and, you know, you work that project to, I don't know, uh, get your cycle times down rather than your fine tolerances on. I presume that the uh, the twist lock on on the cases, for example, would be something that if that isn't, you know, if your tolerances are going to be pretty fine on that, and if you're not hitting yeah. those, the thing doesn't work. It doesn't feel the way that you pictured it, and it's really difficult to describe that. I mean, is that? I know I've rambled a little bit, but is that the kind of thing that you came up against? Is okay. Yeah. Manufacturing tolerances. What's the implications? Yeah, you don't. I mean, before I did anything like this. I mean, eyewear manufacturing is very artisan, so it's mm. all um, you know. You're just cutting sheets of acetate or steel, and it's it's you know when you're dealing with a mechanical um, kind of edging process like that, it can be quite accurate because you're dealing with CNC, right? Yeah. Um, but when it comes to injection uh, molding, there's all kinds of um, tolerance issues. So cooling of materials to you know to um, you know what time of day it is sometimes for the you know the injection machine um and yeah and then you start to you, you learn a lot like about how how to how how things should have been designed for manufacturing um so that you could have fast tracked through that process and i mean now like i mean for a process that took us two years now if we were to bring products to market it wouldn't take us anywhere near that um so i think now between six and nine months you know we could probably get a product to market. Um, and I take it with the nature of the the product line as well is that you're always going to be. I found this from little bits of like recruitment I've done within the mo. Obviously, you're more than just a mobile phone case, right? But done little bits and pieces with kind of phone case manufacturers, and you're and you're always 
kind of at mercy of the of the Apple or the Samsung or the Huawei or whatever, because they're the ones designing the phone, right? And so you're kind of almost having to wait to see what they come up with. And then you've got to very quickly get your product out that that yeah. works in partnership with that. And so I'd imagine that's a, na- a nature of the beast as well, of not, not so much on the fitness band and stuff, but actually like yeah. they're going to pull out a new phone every year and therefore you're going to have to, yeah. After up, up, you're gonna to have to. You can't wait another two years because they've they've released two or three phones in that period of time. So, um, I'd imagine that's a a, a potential cold yeah. problem within the, the line of particularly down the phone case route. Not, not so much fitness bands and stuff, but just yeah. because they're just getting product out so quickly that you have to have to compete with that. Otherwise, you're gonna miss out if you if you're not getting the the latest phone case out and all of a sudden you've missed out on that on the iphone 13 because you're still waiting for mm-hmm. you know because you're you're in that two-year cycle yeah so i mean it is it definitely is and it uh, and also like it isn't so the reason why we designed it to be modular um was that the, just like you said the fitness bands the batteries the wallets we could use year mm-hmm. after year um and those would work um and we've got stuff like bike docks and things like that on the way um, which then become a re- really universal product. Um, on the case side of things, um, the trends are kind of changing, or so they have changed over the last five, six years. So um, whilst everyone used to rush to getting a new phone every year, now it's a, that, that trend now is every three years, and this is where my telecoms experience kind of came in. Mm. Um, and also they, we now have a really thriving refurbished market as well. Um, so you've got lots of people that buy refurbished device, um, especially in the B2B channels. Um, and at the end of the day, it's a, it's a global market as well. Um, but you're right, the case market is, is a highly competitive market um, and um, it is a cyclical market in that sense. So that's why with Nolly, I've always wanted it to be an ecosystem place and not, not totally reliant on cases. Um, and you're going to see over the next few months like how we develop out of the range. Uh, so we've got more products in the power range coming through. Um, and for us, it's about like, getting a customer and then looking after them, building everything around them. So really listening to them, really understanding, you know, what, what they want uh, and then building the system around them. It's actually how we built the first range as well. Cause we did two London design festivals and I was on the stand um, on both of them and just getting that feedback two way doesn't happen a lot in the design industry. I, I feel or enough getting that real time uh, feedback after the, like concept is done um but actually it's something that um moving forward with anything we design we're going to make sure that the user is really involved all the way through um so yeah you're a big advocate for that aren't you Joe? <laughs> yeah you're always talking about users and catheters and things <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> uh, but no it is it's vital it's let's say it's you know it's the difference between making landfill and making something that's worthwhile so I mean, I know there's probably going to be some secrecy around this, so I'll uh, I'll make the question as open as I can. But like, what are the key insights that you found that go, okay, this is what we're doing with our with a with a power product? Um, you know, is there, is there anything like that that sort of jumped out? Are you maybe a surprise or something, or just anything that became super critical that you? No, I'm more more than happy to talk about it because like, actually, where we want to take the brand is actually being really open with everyone um, and really trying to design it around. The, the community so like what what's been it's amazing when once you put something out there you learn so much mm. um so color is a massive opportunity for us like we've realized like you know the nolly range whilst um i thought 80 percent of people would take the black and then you'd have 20 percent on the other colors like in fashion in the eyewear world that's the way it, it would always be everyone would take the kind of havana or the black and then you'd have the kind of fashion catwalk models um, which you kind of sell very little, whereas this has been the other way around. Um, so most people are taking the more vibrant colors, um, mix and matching, and and really enjoying that kind of, on our website, we have a kind of customization experience, which not 100% of the way there yet. I wanted, to, my my idea behind it was always to kind of bring that Nike ID kind of feel to it. Yeah. Um, so there's that, that's definitely like um, jumped out. Uh, Power is a massive opportunity um, just to design, well, design products which don't overcomplicate um, 
but um, really do deliver on the use case, are reliable, um, and like are beautiful as well. So there's a tendency at the moment in tech to like keep going up in power wattages and you know like every every month there's almost like the 120 watt the 150 watt the two you know 200 watt customers don't care like what they want to know is that that device or that power product charges their laptop their mm -hmm. MacBook pro 15 inch and their phone um and that's shown by some of the nolly range i mean we don't have some of the most powerful plugs or anything like that just yet they will come in the next few months and stuff but People are just loving just even even the small things like having two USB A's on on the plug. Yeah. Um, you know, just so many people, I guess, in tech designed for that one percent tech audience. There's actually the other other side of the world, which is the majority that you know um, they don't care about 120 watt charges and stuff. Yeah, you just want it to be enough that's going to get you through that trip on the train to get you home so you could then put it back in the socket so it's got you just want that extra bit that's just going to get you through the journey, right? You don't really need something that's going to charge your phone for about 7 weeks or something, you know, it's like we don't yeah. really care about that kind of thing. Well, that's the thing finding out what is actually important is the difference between you know like something that does fit to the user or or yeah. doesn't and you're right it's it's easy to kind of push uh, a message of this has the best tech it has a you know a new coating or a different wattage or something and i don't think it's the language that appeals to a lot of people maybe not all people but you know um it's more about like what what am i getting out of this you know okay so a new coating new power wattage but tell me anecdotally how that's going to make it better for me is that the right fit is it you know so what um like how are you guys going about doing that and, and learning those things so um we're going to be really opening up so actually starting starting tomorrow we're actually releasing um three designs of an airpod um to the community um we're actually gonna uh, so dan's actually worked dan dan barnes actually worked on the actual designs but we've got three different directions for the airpods uh case and we're going to let the community give us the feedback of which direction we should go in so one is with the lanyard on an on airpod um one is with a recycled material, um, and then the other one is a lock with a lock on the back, which attaches to the back of the phone case. Um, and we want we want feedback, so we mm -hmm. want to know like we'll we'll own the design. That's for us to do, um, but we want to know which route we can take. And each one has a slightly different business case as well. So um, the recycled material or the the lanyard one is probably going to be the most expensive, um, <clears throat> and you know the recycled probably the cheapest um, and also the lowest kind of um, carbon footprint, obviously, but maybe the least unique out of the products um, if we were to compare it against other kind of AirPods out there. Um, so at the end of the day, though, it's letting that community decide, and we're going to start doing this with everything now. Um, so with every single product that we kind of push forward. And another thing that we've learned as well from our users, actually, just thinking about it, packaging. We have we massively over over packaged the product. Um, Brad, you would have probably seen it with. Yeah, it, it, there was a lot of packaging going on. <laughs> it was just my bin. I was like, Jesus. But then again, I I think I was probably sent most of the products right, so most people wouldn't go and buy yeah. the the Nolly range. <laughs> yeah. It was one of those. Where I was like, Jesus, I've got, I've got <laughs> packaging for this. I've got packaging for this. Um, it's, I mean, it's natural in a way, yeah. like as, a, as owner, you get a bit excited, right? You're like, you know, releasing it, free a journey, bloody, you know, try and make it as good as possible. Mm -hmm. um, but then you realize like customers just like, what's the point? Like, you know, it's just going to go, like you said, it's going to go in the bin, right? Mm -hmm. So what we've done actually with um, uh, some, some of the more recent products we, we're bringing in, that we've totally stripped it away. Like, of course, still making sure the brand ID is maintained and we got that nice, you know, still feels like a Nolly product. Um, from, because one, one thing that's quite unique, I think, about the range also is the tactility. Um, so it's got to feel, um, it's got to feel nice, even on the packaging when you open it and stuff. Um, but at the same time, we've been able to strip away the cost, which means that we can deliver better value to the customer. Um, so I think, you know, and that's something that I've learned, um, Benjamin did an amazing job of this, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Um, he's not only designed with, with us, obviously, 
a great product, but I think also design a good business model inside the product mm. as well. So uh, is it is it one of them when you're kind of, I don't know, maybe you thought this when you was typing in industrial designer on agency on Google, that, but once you started to build that relationship, did you start to get a feel for actually this is more about the wider ecosystem rather than a design agency is going, yeah, we'll design that for you. But actually they were starting to design a business for you just as much. Yeah, I mean, that was the brief, designing a product. The brief I actually took to them. So okay. I didn't want didn't to just design a phone case. I wanted to design a system. Mm-hmm. Uh, then someone buys, because it's really difficult to make a business out of just a phone case. Right? Mm. Like very few actually do. Um, and the ones that do, like, you know, um, it's just challenging. So um, my thoughts were like, if, you know, if someone buys a phone case every two years, but they also buy all the other accessories along the way. And, you know, they need the cables for HDMI and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So we could own that relationship, provide something different to the market, try and own it, and then cross-sell and upsell over time. Mm. But provide something distinct that, um, you know, resonates with people um, that is different in the market. I think that's, uh, you know, what's been amazing is even in the period of time that we've been in development, um, there still hasn't been anything like, um that's similar to nolly yet um but it's probably also why it's so bloody hard <laughs> <laughs> i'm actually not surprised as well mm. so w- when you're um kind of going through that process of working f- working with an industrial design agency for the first time how yeah. difficult was it to almost would you did you have to give up a little bit of control as well of saying look you guys are the experts, I'll leave it in your capable hands. Or just trying to think for someone that that may be listening that's they've never worked with an industrial design agency before, they're in that boat you was in in 2017. What what would you say are the big things? Say don't do that or still remember that core reason of why you got in touch with these people in the first place. Is is Nolly now just a very different thing to what it was in 2017? Do you look back and think, actually, this is a very different product or or system than we originally intended it to be? Yeah, so I think some of the things that we've done in Nolly um, have been great, but then certain products haven't quite made it Mm -hmm. as well. Um, Some kind of failed in the development phase. Um, so, and that's normal, right? When you're trying to like push the boundaries, that's going to happen. Um, so I think oh, the development process, isn't it? Is you know, um, you've got to you've got to strip away the things that don't work as early as you can. Yeah. Um, just to jump in, I know that Brad's just asked you like three questions. All oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Just point, right? Throw another um, three at him. <laughs> as, a, as a designer, sometimes you can get really bummed out when you know you you hit on an idea, you think it ticks a load of boxes, and then it just doesn't quite click. It's just not happening. Um, like if you're the the, the business owner, do you, have you got your pets that you're trying to push through, or do you try to avoid that? No, I think um, so. Now, having gone through the experience, yeah, um, I think that definition phase is really, really key. Um, So really defining what the product is that we're going for, like what is the use case, what does it look like, you know, all of those things, getting that out really early. Um, And I like to be really focused from that point onwards. Once we've frozen that, that's it. Like we're not deviating from this. Mm and I think, you know, it's it's natural. I'm, you know, I'm personally creative as well. Um, and it's natural for, you know, there are always to be new ideas and stuff. But I think unless it's like something that's going to be, that's going to really add value, I normally tend to freeze it at that point. Um, and then we focus that, the rest of the design process on just driving that through. Because I, now what I've learned is like design... Design is, especially when you're bringing a new product to market, it's only the beginning. You know, the you it's 20% of the work. The other 80% is the manufacturing, the marketing, the, you know, bringing it to market, the channels, you know, making sure you have a business model, then getting the feedback, redesigning it, you know. Um, so I think that's what I've learned is that, you know, spend um of course you know you you want to you want to make the best products possible um but like you were alluding to earlier like you need to to make sure that you fail fast you get really really like clear on what the product is 
get it out there, learn and iterate, and then come back and keep looping through that process. Um, and, uh, and, do you, and do you think when you're doing that, are you then staying with that one creative team uh, during the iteration? Or you thinking, actually, you know what, I've l- we've we've gone through this process with X agency. Actually, now I think we're at a point where we need a fresh pair of eyes to take us. It's a bit like when, the, when you know United will sack someone, they'll bring someone in, that, and all of a sudden Pogba starts playing well. You know, you know <laughs> where have you been for the last six months? Is it yeah. a bit like that where you're like, actually, thanks guys, but I now need a, another set of creative eyes to to really take this on. Yeah, we're always looking for the new Holland. Um, to okay. Yeah, <laughs> aren't we? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, um, so the way we structured ourselves in Nolly, we got creative directors. Um, who are the uh, owners of the branding agency Made Thought. So they kind of like work with me to kind of be that, the brand guardians. Mm-hmm. But then from a product point of view, I always, well, now I want to be working with different agencies on different things. Um, but because I've got to know a lot of people now, I also quite selective on what I think their strengths are. Um, so, for example, with our bike doc, we've worked with Dan. Dan course, yeah, for Beryl, yeah. Yeah, he's got fantastic experience from Beryl and, you know, um, with everything he's done there. Um, and so, you know, it's great for, for, to work with him. So it doesn't need to be an agency. It could be an individual like mm. that creating his own quasi-agency model. Um, but then likewise, um, could be us working with agencies. We're actually going to announce something in the next few months of, of agencies we're working with. Um but yeah, like, um, and I'm keen to like meet more agencies as well. Like it's been interesting, like putting some content out, the amount of agencies that reached out that, um, you know, are interested in what we're doing and want to work with us and stuff. And I'm, I'm open, open completely to that because, um, yeah, like I think, you know, every, every agency has got their own little specialism. And I think it's important for, the, for people to stand out as well, right? Like be, be niche in that particular area. There's a guy I was speaking to who does a lot of Japanese design, mm. which Really, really interesting um is there any is there anything out there or that you'd want that would be able to help you make those decisions where it's like okay we're x company doing x thing it's almost like not some sort of matchmaking service but like this kind of reconfirmation that the person i'm talking to yeah is the go-to person for where i'm at right now Rather than having to kiss a few frogs and and go down a bit of a rabbit hole, or it's like, ooh. But actually, I don't know what that could be, but just something where it's like for you guys in in the world of business, where you could actually, rather than having to just rely on Google, that there's just this thing you go to, and it tells me who I need to be speaking to for X project. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe. I mean. Or is it just about that? It's subjective, and it's about those relationships and just how you click at that first meeting type thing. And it's not something you can put on a blog or whatever. It's just you just have to go through meeting those different people to really understand. I think there are there are designers who are very good at selling themselves. Yeah, and it's easy to find those guys. Like we we just said, like Google. and then there's designers that are not good at selling themselves and there's designers that don't even bother selling themselves. <laughs> um, so I think um, definitely if, if there was some sort of like directory or something or like, um, you know, you should do it with what you're, what you're doing, like some sort of featuring around some of these guys, um, I think it would definitely help business people for sure. Yeah, uh, I always thought it would be helpful if you could get some kind of tendering service, but not like you know those um, like Fiverr or something, where you just it's just undercutting someone's other to do it for free for, for or for a Fiverr. Like yeah. if there was a, like a decent um, anonymous tendering service, so you've got a package of work. Yeah. Here's the goal. You tell me what you would do. You send me your proposal. I go yeah. through them. We go through to round two, and we're going to have a conversation. But. Definitely. I mean, there's definitely a business model there, 100%, right? Like someone that acts as that um, person who knows everyone and kind of connects the dots. Um, and you're seeing these business models in all kinds of other industries. Yeah. Like in the creative industry, I'm working with a branding partner who actually has that exact same business model but for branding. And they work with both agencies and freelancers and they bring in the best team for the project. Um, mm. So like, yeah, anyone listening, that's, you know, go and do it. 
Yeah, we're yeah. listening with Matt edit that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> How strong that feedback was. I'm like, yeah. It's yeah. a need, like 100%. Because what, what tends to happen otherwise, like big companies, what do they do? They just go to like, um, you know, the leading designer that they've seen on, you know, whether it's wallpaper or design or, you know, and they're probably not even looking at those kinds of platforms. You know, mm. they're probably looking yeah. at Wired or in GQ or, you know, whatever uh, out of interest, do you look at design awards as a, as a validity of company X knows what they're doing? Do you look at that and go, okay, that person or that agency just won a boatload of awards. I'm going to go and talk to those guys. Or does it really have any kind of factor in your decision-making at all? Not now, because I know how easy it is to get these awards. <laughs> I'm glad you said it. <laughs> Just pay. I mean, you got something slightly unique. You pay the money and you get the award, right? Yeah. Um, so um, it's yeah, super easy. Um, I, sh- I shouldn't degrade it like that, but you know, it's easy-ish to get these awards. Um, it's difficult to have a really honest conversation about like about awards without either sounding like um, you know a little bit bitter or dismissive. Yeah, because we we just can't win them. <laughs> well, you know, like like I've said before, you know have the names on those kind of things but you do think like it's oh is that it like actually going through the process and sending it off and then you go yeah you, you've been you've been selected You're like, oh i thought there'd be more to it than that like a pull off put a lot of work in this like <laughs> do you want to know more like you want to dig a bit more and find out how we um, okay sure great um and then it just sort of feels like oh, i don't want any more now like that's not worth it to me yeah. personal view yeah. yeah, but I think, but I think, if I'm someone from outside of this industry looking at design, for sure, right? It's going to be something that I look at. So whether it's a Red Dot Design Award or an IF Award, probably Red Dot is probably the most well known outside mm-hmm. of design. Um, that's something that I look at. But I mean, if there are people watching this that um, are thinking about um, which agency to select, the one thing that I ask every single time is how many products have you shipped what quantities have you shipped them in um and um how many yeah how many of the concepts have actually gone through to production and um and tell me about the commercial success of those products as well what about things like iso 9001 does that come up at all in your selection maybe not for maybe not for that kind of product they drew i don't reckon well no i mean that's just about the you know the structure of the organization and uh and that type of thing, um, you know, and, and approach to quality and things. I know that obviously in the industries that I've worked in, mostly it's either 9,001, 13,485 or something, you know, that's more more fitted. And um, like some designers will not, uh, or some agencies won't have that. And that might be critical on the, uh, on the you know, approved, supply, approved suppliers list mm. for, for some of these companies. I just wonder like, where you sit on that. Yeah, and no, look, I'm I'm a kind of smaller business. I mean, in total, we employ 120 people across our mm-hmm. across our portfolio. So we're a small business, small medium sized business. Um, so for me, I wouldn't look at that uh, personally. But then, when it comes to the next phase of the manufacturing, I look at all of that stuff. Um, you know, audit the factories, sustainability mm-hmm. reports. You know, that kind of side of things. But come to the design agency for me, it's about. I want to get to know everyone. I want to get to know all the people that are on the team. Like the creative directors, yes, they're the first person. I want to get to know everyone else. I want to know what makes them tick, um, what they what's what they're passionate about, um, and really build like a close relationship with the whole design team. Um, that's that's key for me. Like the mm. personalities, do I click with them? Do they excite me? Um, that that's the most important thing. Yeah, and making sure that the person that that turns up to pitch is probably the one that's going to be doing the design work. <laughs> that yeah. seems to have been quite a common kind of um, thing we've had throughout these episodes we've done, Drew, is like if you're an agency, like if you're going to pitch your work, make sure that the end client has some form of access to the person that's actually going to be delivering the work. Yeah. And likewise, <clears throat> there's some people who are like, really good at delivering on the project and are perhaps not the most charismatic Mm. Uh, so you kind of you, yeah you need that little bit of it's as you say you know you, you um, I think it's been on here a few times people say uh, people by people right 
and that relationship is super important. You need the confidence to know that the work is going to get done in a, in a way that you believe in, but yeah. also that you can have fairly robust conversations yeah. uh, and enjoy working with, with them as well. So it's like, yeah. I'm starting, I'm starting to think that it isn't as much about people buy from people anymore. And it's more about people buy from people that have solutions to the problem. I'm starting to form that view of the world rather than it's, um, do you not buy that? No, I, 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 I honestly, I, I, gen, I, I, I genuinely think if, if it, the person has a solution to your problem, you, or the, you'll be a little bit more lenient. I think, I think, other things. yeah, I do. I, I, yeah, I, I somewhat share you share that view, and I do just don't be a, just don't be a complete dick, basically, and then you'll be all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I also think like at the start of something, you don't have the solutions out there. The, the, yeah. the thing is like, do I want to go on a journey with this person, and like, do I want to invest my time and effort and the future and money <laughs> with with this set of people? Yeah, and, and like money and future security. Yeah, cool. And like, we can't have the solutions right now. If they, if someone, you know right at the start is trying to tell me that they've that they've solved the problem I'm like no 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 you haven't right oh, who's next yeah. <laughs> i'm quite conscious that we're coming up to an hour and yeah, um, as I, I sent you a message we always ask one question to like wrap things up now yeah. I, i'll ask the same question to you it might be a case if you don't have the answer but the the question is always just the strangest brief you've ever you've ever worked on now it may have been the strangest brief you've ever put together so it may be the other way around but were there any kind of standout um either briefs or maybe just stories of are you over the last four years that really kind of resonate with you you look back and laugh at yeah i mean i've got one so like um one i learned a lot from actually so um I'll tell you the, I guess the moral story at the end, but uh, essentially we had a, we had a retail store um, and it was an architect that, you know, won't be named. <laughs> um, we took the store to him and said, create some, create a new concept. Yeah. Do something with this space. Like you're the visionary, create something with this. So uh, retail shops, your ground floor is your most expensive space. Yeah. So you pay, you know, top dollar for that and then basements if you have basements you're you know one fifth or one tenth of the price normally so um the concept that he created was he took out pretty much 80 percent of the ground floor space to create a staircase that went downstairs yeah and led everyone into the downstairs space because his idea was to create the basement um as the kind of main retail space um and um yeah just like just shows like don't i think it's really important to give a designer a really really clear brief yeah like don't give them like a complete carte blanche mm. because look not look and this is um you know a lot of designers are very commercial but ultimately the designer will will you know go to what the brief was right and the brief was create something new create you know a new concept and that's what he delivered on um but he wasn't thinking like commercially and i think as as the business owners or whatever you gotta like own really own that commercial piece let the designer focus on the creativity um and you know solving the problem at the end of the day right um let the you you need to worry about the commercial piece and keeping them in check of course when um and they don't deliver it. Yeah, I think it's really important to be very close, like from like uh, uh, all, all the stakeholders, as many as you can get involved, really. Any, anyone that's critical in making a decision, to have them in that brief forming period right, yeah. where you're really identifying what actually is the problem. Like, yes, you want something new, but what shape of new, what type of new, you know? Um, I've, I've tripped over words before or like butted heads uh, internally over the word differentiation. It's become a pet hate because, all right, it's different, but it's different better than being quite similar, but really, really effective. Like if everybody really likes this thing that works really well and you don't think it's quite different enough from something that also works really, really well, then am I going to like, what what else does it need to do? I mean, it can get satellite radio, but that's not helping someone go to the toilet. You know, that's not, it's yeah. not helpful. It's just nonsense. So 
sorry, I just thought to bounce back. That's a nonsense brief. It's just <laughs> like if, if, yeah, I would say it's it's really critical to understand exactly what it is that you that that, that it's going to make you tick. You know that that you were saying um, you want to see how they work and how, what makes them tick. It's like that's a really important thing to know. What do you mean by the words that you're using? Yeah, I think also like you know for anyone designing products as well, like in a design like brief and budget, like that's where you can like use up loads of money, right? Because if you tell a designer to go to school around find me the gap in the market, like they spend ages on that research, you know. So you want to be like really focused. You own you own that. You're the bloody business owner, right? Like you gotta own that. Yeah, what's the opportunity? Yeah, that's interesting. We do really appreciate you you coming on and uh, and um and joining us particularly as it's what it's like five to seven now although the, it doesn't look like it's, it's five to seven yeah. well. so that's early for you yeah but um yeah thank you for, for coming on we've always kind of planned when this started where it's like we don't just want to bring on designers all day long do you know what i mean like let's just as i said to you when we caught up on i don't know thursday where it was like let's just bring on designers talking to other designers about the power of design, like this preach into the converted exercise. And it's a bit boring, isn't it? So it's great to kind of bring on your kind of lived experience and perspective. And hopefully there'll be some people that, that are in maybe the agency world or wanting to go into agency that can resonate with it and maybe can have a different thought off the back of it of, okay, maybe I should really nail down that brief or whatever. And, um, yeah, the, the door is always open if you ever want to come back on. No, pleasure, guys. It's been... I think we should get you on like a live panel once we're up and once we're up and able to do live events for sure. Yeah, no, for sure. Although, yeah. although you have to deal with quite a few designers, so I can only apologise <laughs> in advance for that. But, Sounds uh, like you've met them all already. Yeah, you've, you've probably met more than us, to be fair. So thank you for listening to yet another episode of Design Truth. Great guest, lovely fella, and um, hopefully we can have more of these design stroke business conversations as always look after yourself stay safe and glazes out see you next time